And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance. Hello. Well, gentlemen, it's good to have you here. You know, last week uh, we talked about the Reformation, and the week prior to that we were talking about the Trinity. And I thought maybe we'd come back and address a few more topics within this general discussion of the Trinity today. The last time we talked about this, we mentioned that um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all talked about in the Scripture, and all three are described as being God, and that they are really a trinity of persons. God is a trinity of persons. And uh, they're not three gods. um, They're not three beings. Um, They are three distinct persons, and yet all one God. I thought maybe today we'd talk a little bit more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, It's just so rich to sit down and open your Bible to one of the Gospels and read about the life of Jesus. And um, maybe today, as we get started, just talk a little bit about the person of Christ, how he came to this world, and yet, um, how he's still God, and yet he lays aside his glory. Help us, help us get started uh, today on that. The um, prologue to John's Gospel that I talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, is rich in uh, trying to understand for us to understand Jesus. It is a magnificent self-revelation of God. Mm. And it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as I recall, the Greek word there actually means flesh. It does not uh, mean the appearance of flesh or whatever. Mm-hmm. There was a, uh, a a teaching circulating, particularly at the end of Paul's ministry, called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism believed that the material world was evil and that mm-hmm. human bodies were evil. And these Gnostic, so-called Gnostic Christians, believed that Jesus could not have taken upon himself a material body when he came into the Mm -hmm. world. And so they developed a teaching called, we describe as docetism, that Jesus appeared to be in human flesh, but he did not take upon himself human flesh because that would be sinful, Mm -hmm. and therefore he was sinless. And what they were doing in a real sense from uh, the biblical perspective, I believe, is denying that Christ could redeem us uh, in his own death on the cross. Because if he did not die in our flesh, he could not redeem us. And so the earliest problem that Christians had was not the deity of Jesus Christ. The earliest problems that Christians struggled with is that Jesus came in the flesh, that he was truly man in bodily form with Mm. our blood coursing in his veins and our flesh just like we have, and that was the real problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see that in Philippians 2 in the kenosis where it says, being born in the likeness of man and being found in a human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so you have that, and of course some would say, well, it's a form of man, but he's not really man. But you see Jesus manifesting himself is truly flesh. Remember, after his resurrection, he's in the upper room. 
And uh, they come and they're, oh, it's a ghost. And what does he say? Give me some fish. Come on. You yes. know? Uh, he's showing them. I'm, he physically I'm eats. Physical flesh and blood. Thomas comes and he looks. Put your fingers in my hands, you know, to see the nail prints, yes. to show that he is there truly in the flesh. He's not a spirit standing in front of him. And John, uh, in his gospel, over and over, uh, makes the point that he was in the flesh over and over. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's too numerous almost to point out. Yes. But they, they could see this incipient form of Gnosticism already at work. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. were rejecting it straight off. Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things, too, because the Gnostics wanted to uh, to get rid of the flesh completely. It's almost like, well, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's Far Eastern almost in its origin, and, and Far Eastern religions... Uh, well, you're more, more compatible with Buddhism. With Buddhism, yeah. yeah. And and so you see that kind of thing coming in. But then you hit something like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, where he talks about Christ being raised. And if Christ is not raised, we're not raised. And he talks about us being raised in the body. And the emphasis is our bodily resurrection, That's not true. just a spiritual mm-hmm concept it's our bodily resurrection mm-hmm. the, the problem uh, that the gnostics eventually had was that they developed a different way of salvation christianity mm-hmm. uh taught the bible teaches that we are saved through trust in jesus christ mm-hmm. through faith so we trust in him that he's done something for us that we could not and would not do for ourselves mm-hmm. so christ died on the cross to save sinners in our place. Mm. On the other hand, the Gnostics developed a, a cause of this basic heresy that they start out with, that Jesus was not fully man in the flesh. They developed a kind of salvation through knowledge, mm. through secret knowledge. Secret it's knowledge. an entirely different religion. I, you it know, I, I look at those religions and I think they're, you know, they're started all by charlatans. I mean, when you start talking about secret knowledge and and... And so you've got somebody leader there that says he's got the secret knowledge, and you don't. Simon yeah. Magnus is is Simon accused Magnus, sometime yeah, as yeah. the founder and, of and, and, a certain and, form of Gnosticism. Yeah, and so so how can you prove it? You know, you can't even prove it because that person has the secret knowledge. Now we should yeah. say who si- Simon Magnus is. Well, Simon Magnus was a uh, individual who saw Peter uh, healing, and uh, he saw the power of the Holy Spirit being manifested. Mm-hmm. In uh, what is it? Acts chapter eight, maybe uh, in Acts, Yeah, it's early in Acts. It's the uh, first half. Of and he wanted this Acts. power. He wants the power, and he tries to pay Peter and John to get that power. So when he lays hands on people, they have the Holy Spirit, which at that time, in some cases, was being manifest by speaking in tongues and mm-hmm. and other ways. And uh, yeah, he he wants that power. <laughs> That's and a charlatan approach, right? There. It is. Yeah. <laughs> So today we're talking again about the Trinity and focusing more upon the person of Jesus Christ. And um, before we take our break, I did want to mention that each of these persons are one God. It's not that we're saying that God is the Father and yet Jesus is a creation. He's not a created being. He was with the Father from the very beginning. And the Holy Spirit is not merely a force as some cults would have us believe. And so um, there's a lot of confusion, isn't there, out in this world of ours regarding God and who He is. And this, uh, this word Trinity 
It needs to be unpacked so we can understand what the Bible teaches about God. We need to take a break and uh, stay with us. This is a plain answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer right here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I am Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. We're continuing a discussion that we had started two weeks ago regarding the Trinity. And so uh, I'm going to turn it over to John Vance for more comments about the person of Jesus Christ. I wanted to follow up, Dan, just what you said just before the break. Jesus, as to his divinity, is uncreated, co-equal with the Father. But he did receive his humanity in the womb of Mary. Yes. He assumed bodily human nature so that he might secure our salvation on the cross as our representative, sharing our flesh and our blood. Now, what we are denying when we say that is this. We're denying, of course, that Jesus is a created being, the first of God's creatures. Uh, Jesus is uncreated as to his deity, but he does assume human body, flesh in his mother's womb. Mm. He had her DNA, and he had her humanity, 
And that is why he could represent us and die for us in our place on the cross. And I think that is an important idea. So that we, through his material body, might be taken up into the life of God. That is the beauty of Mm. Christianity. We are actually, as sinners, redeemed, forgiven, and taken up into the life of God for eternity. That is so important. He was truly flesh. Now, one of the your favorite, uh, what is the 11th century theologians, Anselm. Anselm, yes. Uh, with uh, uh, Curdeus Homo. Well, you know, why did God become man? Well, the answer to that is, who can take away sins but God? So you need to be God. Who should pay for sins but man? Because we're the ones who are yes. the sinners. And so he had to become both God and man. And he was truly man. And that's the key thing. One of the early heresies in the church was a heresy called monothelitism. Monothelitism means he only had one will. He only had a divine will, is what they were saying. Hmm. And so, therefore, he could not sin. Well, I think the Scriptures puts the lie to that with the whole area of, for example, the temptations. And and the meaning of the temptations, with the temptations there in Matthew 4, and Satan is trying to tempt Jesus. Why? Because he is truly man. And he is subject to the temptations as human beings are, but he doesn't sin, Mm -hmm. which means he is actively righteous. We Hmm. call that his act of righteousness. We talk about his passive righteousness in his dying on the cross for our sins, but his act of righteousness of fulfilling the law that Adam didn't, Mm -hmm. living a perfectly sinless life. Of course, if I can say briefly, another benefit of Mm-hmm. of the atonement is that Jesus died in our place in his own flesh, but due to the fact that he is divine, it gives his atonement or his crucifixion on the cross eternal benefit. Therefore, he only has to die one time for sinners because mm-hmm. it has eternal value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His humanity is conjoined with his uh, deity. deity. Mm-hmm. Communicatio urbanum. Oh, we don't want to get into what that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're talking about the Trinity here at Redeemer Broadcasting, and uh, I think we touched on this last week, but um, you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible. Does that mean we should not use it? No, obviously we have to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to use the word Trinity. I don't know of another word that describes. It's just a descriptive word. Hmm. It describes what we read in yeah. the Bible. Yes. And uh, that's it's, it's pure and simple. And when I teach, I use lots of words sometimes to describe what we read in the Bible. Now, it is for sure they don't gain the technical status that the word Trinity did. But nonetheless, it started out as trying to describe from the human standpoint what we encounter in the Bible. These early Christians were earnest Bible students. They search the scriptures Mm -hmm. and they also search for language to be able to present it to their generation Mm -hmm. and we've never been able to improve upon the word trinity that god is a unity but he is also try in that he is father son and holy spirit now some of the uh, some of the ancient uh, creeds of the church come to my mind as being useful right at this very point very much so. Yeah. Obviously, the one that's used uh, most often is the Nicene Creed. 
mm-hmm. and uh, and makes some very fine distinctions. But it talks about the son begotten, not made. Yes. In other words, it's saying he's not created, but yet that relationship with the father of being begotten, if you will, is eternal. It's eternally begotten. They they would say, mm-hmm. um, but that emphasizing again from all eternity. We have a father-son relationship. Father-son relationship that has no beginning or end. Right. So uh, some of the creeds that are worth uh, reviewing in your spare time would be the Nicene Creed. Nicene the Apostles' Creed, creed too. The Apostles', the Apostles creed. creed. And um, the, Last week, I think you mentioned the Athanasian. Athanasian Creed. creed. And, and, well, I don't know about the other Lutherans, but I, I grew up in a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. Mm-hmm. And if they still do what they did in the old days... Once a year. Trinity Sunday is when the the confession, the Athanasian Creed is used in the Lutheran Church, or at least it was when Mm -hmm. I was part of the LCMS many years ago. And they only did it once a year because it was, a, it was a full page of very small print. And so it took, <laughs> you, to took you about uh, 10 or 15 yeah. minutes just to, to get through that confession. But it is one of the best Trinitarian confessions. I, I want, want to share this little account uh, in our church. What I enjoy is um, um, we confess the creeds. And, you know, we're not ashamed to do that. Mm. It's, it's such a blessing. And someone will s- stand up. Uh, the leader, and say, Christian, what do you believe? And the congregation will then recite either the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And it's a, it's a blessed thing to hear God's people affirming truth that's been distilled from all of the Scripture into some very simple, profound statements. Yes, and we do that with Christians who have lived in the past, mm-hmm. <laughs> borne the burden in the heat of the day, oh, given their lives, read Hebrews yeah, Chapter yes, eleven, so, those yeah. heroes and heroines of faith. That's the sense, isn't it? Oh, yeah. and when then in the future, oh, we will have future, our descendants yeah. come until Jesus comes yeah. and confess the same faith that's been delivered unto the saints. And just add a little to that, and we're confessing it with our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be in communist countries or Islamic countries, yes. who by their very confession puts them in danger of their own lives. That's it. That's it. And I, I, I pray and hope that we don't have to go through this kind of um, Islamic persecution here um, that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through in uh, Indonesia or some of these uh, in, in Egypt or some of these other countries. Severe persecution mm-hmm. for confessing the triune God of the Scriptures, for receiving his sign and entrance into right. the Christian church, that of baptism. Now, the interesting thing is that you remember the Solidarity Movement under Lech Wałęsa, yeah. uh, that partly helped overthrow uh, the Soviet Union, at least it, mm-hmm. uh, it did in Poland. Poland yeah. In a sense, every time we confess the faith of our creeds together with Christians mm-hmm. around the world, it's a solidarity movement. It is. And it is. we are standing with those who are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yeah. And those churches which have departed from those historic creeds, it seems to me, have lost a dimension of fellowship right. that is necessary for us to mm. understand who we are in the world. I don't even understand it when people complain, oh, that's just a dry, dead creed. You shouldn't be just uh, reciting it. I think, what are you even talking about? It. This is this is one of the rich parts of our worship. I, I thoroughly enjoy it, and it lifts me up in Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. Yeah. 
talking about deadness, uh, if that argument holds, then we should not pray every day at the time we do. Because yes. we pretty much use the same language in our prayers. <laughs> That's right. And we I'm should just give original. a prayer for deadness' sake. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, today we're talking about the Trinity. It is a scriptural doctrine, it flows naturally from the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. What else would you like to talk about today? I see we have about maybe four minutes left in the discussion. Now, what is the another advantage of having a confession? The confession also separates us from the world, and it separates us from the heretics who have have distorted scriptures mm-hmm. and, and, and gone away from the salvation that Christ has given us. It's a good way of not only solidarity for those who are believers, but distinction. You know your baptismal creed, the Apostles' Creed, and what does the Westminster Confession say? It makes a distinction between us and the world. Our confession does. Yeah, yeah. Now, we're talking here about the Trinity, and it can be perceived as, oh, that's a high and lofty doctrine. Um, But I feel that this comes right down to where we are today. Um, When you fellows were talking about Jesus being incarnate, taking on human flesh, uh, he did that for a purpose, and probably in closing today, it'd be good for us to review the purpose of him coming to this broken world. It's clear in Scripture that the motive for Jesus coming in the world was love. Mm. Uh, we are uh, confined clearly in Scripture in John three sixteen, for instance, for God so loved the world that he sent his Son. Mm. We find in the Scriptures that it is out of love that Jesus lays down his life. And we find in the scriptures that God pours out his Holy Spirit or pours the love of God in our heart through the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, Christianity, more than any other religion, is identified with the word love. And why is that? It is because God in his great love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has actually entered into our realm, our place, in the deepest depths of our sins to redeem us Mm. and to clean us up and to set our feet on solid rock, as the psalmist says, Mm. solid ground, uh, that we might eternally live with him. And uh, this may sound highfalutin, all of these uh, creeds and the language we've been using, but it comes down to a very simple, simple statement. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And John sums it up in his letter. If you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's why we talk about the Trinity. That's why we talk about the deity of Christ. That's why we talk about the humanity of Christ, because it manifests God's great love for you. In that while we were yet sinners, says Paul, Christ died for us. Amen. And it's a demonstration of God's love. That's it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. And uh, I'm glad we ended on that note today. If one of our listeners or any number of you are inclined to ask questions of either of these fine pastors, and you need a pastoral touch in your life and uh, someone to talk to about relationship with Jesus Christ, um, this is your opportunity to do that. Please send us an email. Our address is ministry at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. That's ministry, at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. In the studio with me today has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. 
I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. Holy fount of inspiration By whose gift the great of old Spoke the word of revelation Marvelous and manifold God the Spirit, we adore Thee In the triumph, Godhead one One in love and power and glory With the Father and the Son Author of the new creation Renovation Cleanse our souls From stains of earth God the Spirit We adore Thee In the triune Godhead One One in love And power and glory With the Father And the Son In the Master's way Let thy strong swift sword protect us Warring in the evil day Shall the church now faint or fear When the Comforter is near God the Spirit Adore Thee in the triune Godhead One, one in love and power and glory with the Father and the Son. God the Spirit, we adore Thee in the triune Godhead One. now